part two chapters three and four of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain three at monte carlo reader have you ever been to monte carlo that loveliest spot in all the world where nature and art have done so much where the summer rains fall so softly and the winter sun shines so brightly and where the blue of the autumnal sky is only equalled by the blue of the mediterranean sea whose waves kiss the beautiful shore and cool the perfumed air if you have been there you do not need a description of the place or of the mass of human beings who daily press up the hill from the station or swarming from those grand hotels hurry toward one common centre the tall casino whose gilded domes can be seen from afar and whose interior though so beautiful to look upon is as miss betsy macpherson would express it the very gate of hell perhaps like the writer of this story you have stood by the long tables and watched the people seated there the white-haired watery-eyed old men whose trembling hands can scarcely hold the gold they put down with such feverish eagerness the men of middle age whom experience has taught to play cautiously and stop just before the tide of success turns against them the young men who with the perspiration standing thickly about their pale lips and a strange glitter in their feverish eyes as they see hundreds swept away still play recklessly desperately until all is lost and they leave the accursed spot hopelessly ruined sometimes seeking forgetfulness in death with only the stars looking down upon them and the restless sea moaning in their ears lost lost there are women too at monte carlo more i verily believe than men old women who sit from the hour of noon to the hour of midnight women with their life's history written on their wrinkled wicked faces women who laugh hysterically when all they have is lost and then borrow of their friends to try their luck again women who go from table to table with their long bags upon their arms and who only risk five or ten francs at a time and stop when their unlucky star is in the ascendant or they feel that curious eyes are watching them for these habitual players at monte carlo are very superstitious and it takes but little to unnerve them there are young women there too who play first to see if they can win and when by the fall of the little ball their gold piece is doubled they try again and again until the habit is fixed and their faces are as well known in the saloons as those of the old men with the blear eyes which find time between the plays to scan these young girls curiously and calculate their price and among these young women daisy macpherson sat the morning after her arrival at monte carlo with a look of sweet innocence on her face and apparent unconsciousness of the attention she was attracting she had been among the first to enter the salon at the hour of its opening for she was eager for the contest she did not expect archie to play for she knew he would not break the promise made to his dying father but she was bound by no such vow and she meant to make her fortune on the spot where gold was won so easily and alas so easily lost rarely if ever had a more beautiful face been seen in that gilded den than daisy's as she entered the room leaning upon the arm of her husband and walking slowly from table to table to see how it was done before making her first venture not a man but turned to look at her and when at last with a trembling hand she put down her five-franc piece not one but was glad when she took up two and with a smile of triumph tried her luck again it is said that success always attends the new beginner at monte carlo and it surely attended daisy who played on and on seldom losing until grown bold by repeated success she staked her all one hundred and fifty francs and doubled it at once that will do twelve pounds are enough for one day she said 
and depositing her gains in her leather bag she took archie's arm and left the room followed by scores of admiring eyes while many an eager question was asked as to who the lovely english girl could be in the ante-room outside there was a crowd of people moving in opposite directions and the train of daisy's blue muslin for those were not the days of short dresses was stepped upon and held until the gathers at the waist gave way and there was a long ugly rent in one of the bottom flounces i beg your pardon miss for my awkwardness but really i could not help myself i was so pushed by the crowd was said in daisy's ear in a rich irish brogue and turning partly round she saw a fair-haired young man scarcely two years older than herself with a look of genuine distress upon his aristocratic but boyish face as he continued i hope i have not ruined the dress and it is such a pretty one i am sure you could not help it but i am awful sorry for it is my very best gown but then i can afford another now for i gain twelve pounds to-day daisy said gathering up her torn skirt and thus showing to good advantage her pretty feet and the fluted ruffles on her white petticoat daisy archie said reproachfully for he did not like her speaking thus freely to a stranger let's get out of this and he made his way to the open air followed by the young man who still kept apologizing for his awkwardness until archie lost all patience and said a little hotly i tell you it is of no consequence my wife can afford another your wife the young irishman repented with a gasp is it possible i thought she was your sister she looked so young your wife yes my wife and i am archibald macpherson of stoneleigh bangor in wales archie answered fiercely and with a look which he meant should annihilate the enemy who not in the least abashed because he really meant no harm lifted his soft hat very respectfully as he replied mr macpherson i am glad to make your acquaintance i was in bangor last year at the george hotel and heard your name mentioned i am lord frederick hardy of dublin better known there as ted hardy of hardy manor and i am out on a spree running myself independent of tutors and guardians and all that sort of thing poor as i consider the whole lot of them though my guardian fortunately is the best-natured and most liberal old cove in the world and gives me mostly all i want i think it is a streak of luck to have met you here where i know nobody and nobody knows me i hope we may be friends his manner so friendly and so familiar mollified archie who had heard of the young irish lord whose income was ten thousand pounds a year and who spent his money lavishly during the few days he was at the george while daisy who held a title in great veneration was enraptured with this young peer who treated her like an equal and so it came that in half an hour's time the three were the best of friends and had made several plans with regard to what they would do during their stay at monte carlo the next day daisy did not see her new acquaintance but as she was dressing for the table d'hote dinner which she could afford with her twelve pounds gain a box was brought to her room with a note addressed to her by lord hardy who wrote as follows dear mrs macpherson i send you a new dress in place of the one i had the misfortune to spoil yesterday please accept it without a protest just as if i were your brother or your husband's best friend as i hope to be yours sincerely ted hardy oh archie daisy exclaimed as she opened the box and held to view a soft rich lustrous silk of dark navy blue which lord hardy had found in nice whither he had been that day and which in quality and style did justice to his taste and generosity oh archie isn't it a beauty and it almost stands alone yes 
archie answered meditatively for he rather doubted the propriety of receiving so costly a present for his wife from a stranger and he said so to daisy adding that it was of course very kind in lord hardy but wholly uncalled for and she'd better return it at once as he would not quite like to see her wear it but daisy began to cry and said she had never had a silk dress in her life and this was just what she wanted and she could make it herself and she presumed the amount lord hardy paid for it was no more to him than a few pence were to them and so she kept it and thanked lord hardy very sweetly for it with tears swimming in her great blue eyes when she met him in the evening at dinner for he had given up his luxurious quarters at the more fashionable hotel and had come to the same house with the macphersons whose shadow he became the navy blue silk was quickly made in the privacy of daisy's apartment and she was very charming in it and attracted a great deal of attention and drove the young irishman nearly crazy with her smiles and coquetries lord hardy took her and her husband to drive every day in the most stylish turnout the place afforded and took them to nice and mantone and introduced them to some friends of his who were staying at the latter place and of whose acquaintance slight as it was daisy made capital ever after the adventuress was developing fast in her and lord hardy was her willing tool always at her beck and nod and going everywhere with her except into the playroom itself from that place he was debarred for at monte carlo they have decreed that no male under age shall enter the charmed spot and teddy was not twenty-one and had said so to the man in the office and after that neither persuasions nor bribes were of any avail better have lied straight out more than one hard old man said to him but ted hardy could not lie straight out and so he stayed out and waited around disconsolately for daisy whom fortune sometimes favoured and sometimes deserted one day she lost everything and came out greatly perturbed to report her ill-luck to teddy as she called him now it's a shame that i can't go in i could loan you some you know lord hardy said and daisy replied yes tis an awful shame then after a moment she added teddy i've been thinking i expect my cousin sue from bangor every day yes teddy replied slowly and thinking at once that a cousin sue might be de trop is she nice how does she look any like you no more like you ted she is about your height you are not tall you know her hair is just the colour of yours and curls just like it while her eyes are the same dress you in her clothes and you might pass for her by jove i see when will she be here teddy asked and daisy replied just as soon as you can buy me some soft woollen goods to make her a suit and a pair of woman's gloves and boots which will fit you and a switch of hair to match yours comprenez-vous you bet i do was the delighted answer and within twenty-four hours the soft woollen goods and the boots and gloves and switch of hair and sundry other articles pertaining to a woman's toilet were in daisy's room from which during the next day issued shrieks of laughter almost too loud to be strictly ladylike as daisy fitted the active little irishman and instructed him how to demean himself as cousin sue from bangor two days later and there sat side by side at the roulette table two fair-haired english girls as they seemed to be and nobody suspected the truth or dreamed of the ruse which had succeeded admirably and admitted to forbidden ground young lord hardy who in the new dress which fitted him perfectly and with daisy's linen collar and cuffs and necktie and one of daisy's hats perched on his head and drawn over the forehead where his own curly hair was kept in its place as a bang by numerous hairpins would have passed for a girl anywhere 
nobody had challenged him or his age as he passed in with daisy who was well known by this time and around whom and her companion a crowd of curious ones gathered and watched them as they played cautiously at first for that was daisy's style then as ted's irish blood began to tingle with excitement more recklessly until he whispered to her play high there's no such thing as a second-hand low here double your stakes and i'll be your backer and daisy played high and won nearly every time while the lookers-on marvelled at her luck and wondered by what strange intuition she knew just where to place her gold for days the pair known to the crowd as les cousines anglaises played side by side while lord hardy maintained his incognito perfectly though some of the spectators commented on the size of his hands and wondered why he always kept them gloved and ted enjoyed it immensely and thought it the jolliest lark he ever had and did not care a sou how much he lost if daisy only won but at last her star began to wane and her gold pieces were swept off rapidly by the remorseless croupier until fifty pounds went at one stroke and then daisy turned pale and said to her companion don't you think we'd better stop i believe satan himself is standing behind me with his evil eye do look and see who is there nobody but your husband upon my soul ted whispered after glancing back at archie who with folded arms and a cloud on his brow stood watching the game and longing to take his wife away nobody but your husband who looks black as his satanic majesty but never you mind my darlin he continued adopting the dialect of his country play high and it's meself'll make good all you lose faith and be jabbers they can't break tad hardy thus reassured daisy played high and her luck returned and when she left the hall that night she was richer by a thousand pounds than when she entered it the next day the macphersons left monte carlo accompanied by lord hardy who went with them to genoa and turin and milan and the italian lakes and venice where he said good-bye for he was going to rome while they were to turn their faces homewards stopping for a few weeks at paris which daisy said she must see before shutting herself up at stupid old stoneleigh which looked very uninviting to her since she had seen the world and found how much there was to enjoy and how much influence she could exert in it others than ted hardy had been attracted to the airy little beauty who always managed to make them serviceable in some way notwithstanding archie's oft-repeated protest that she made too free with strangers and accepted civilities where she ought to have given rebukes archie had not been altogether pleased with the campaign and was glad when at last he drove into the old park at stoneleigh and was warmly welcomed by dorothy and anthony who had made the place as comfortable as possible with the small means at their command Four little bessie oh archie isn't it a poky old place and doesn't it smell of rats and must daisy said as with her husband she went through the great rooms whose only ornament consisted in the warm fires on the hearth and the pots of chrysanthemums and late roses which dorothy had put here and there by way of brightening the house up a bit and making the home-coming more cheerful for the young people but it needed more than roses and chrysanthemums and fires to satisfy daisy who forgetting the little back room in the dressmaker's shop whence she came and remembering only the delights of the continent and the excitement of monte carlo and the honour as she thought it of having a real live earl in her party tossed her head a little and said she wished she was back in paris but archie did not share her feelings it had not been pleasant for him to see daisy ogled and admired by men he wanted to knock down nor had he quite liked the escapade at monte carlo 
for aside from the fear lest the fraud should be discovered there was always before him a dread of what his uncle john and the lady jane would say should the affair ever reach their ears as it might for lord hardy was not very discreet and was sure to tell of it some time as to the playing could he have had his choice he would far rather have played himself than to stand by and see daisy do it but his vow to his father could not be broken and so he was tolerably content especially as the result was so far beyond his expectations fifteen hundred pounds was the sum total of the gains and daisy who held the purse and managed everything played the lady of stoneley to perfection and made enemies of all her former friends her mother included and was only stopped in her career of folly by the birth of her baby who was not at all welcome to the childish mother it was the latter part of march and the crocuses and hyacinths were just beginning to blossom in the garden at stoneley when the baby bessie first lay in the cradle which had rocked archie in his infancy they did not call her bessie at first for there were many discussions with regard to the name archie wishing her called dora for his mother and daisy inclining to blanche or beatrice i'll tell you what archie she said one day there's that old maid aunt of yours in america with piles of money they say let's name the baby for her and so get some of her filthy lucre call our baby betsy are you crazy archie asked but daisy was in earnest and carried her point as she always did and when at easter lord hardy stopped at stoneley on his way to his home in ireland he was one of the sponsors for the child who was christened betsy if i dared i would add jane to it for her ladyship which would make her betsy jane but that would be too much daisy said to lord hardy adding we shall call her bessie of course and never betsie we only give her that abominable cognomen for the sake of wheedling something out of that old woman in america archie is to write and tell her so archie wrote the best letter he could concoct and said he had named his little daughter betsy which he hoped would please his aunt this he took for approval to daisy who said it was very well but insisted that he should add a p s that if his aunt had fifty pounds or so of ready money he would like to borrow it for a time as his expenses were heavy and stoneley needed so much repairing at first archie refused utterly it looked so much like begging he said but he was overruled and added the p s which made miss macpherson furious and steeled her heart against the innocent baby who bore her name the request for money overmastered every gentler feeling and the letter was consigned to the flames and never answered never mind archie daisy said as weeks went by and there came no message from america the old miser means to cut us off well let her i can manage without her and our fifteen hundred pounds will last a while after that is gone trust me for more and archie who was too indolent to exert himself did trust her and parting with every vestige of manhood and manliness did what she bade him to do and went where she bade him go sometimes to the most expensive hotels where while the money lasted they lived like princes and when it was gone like rats in a hole sometimes to monte carlo where daisy was generally successful sometimes to hamburg and baden-baden sometimes to epsom where she bet with lord hardy on the races and got her money whether she lost or won for the kind-hearted ted could never withstand her tears and sometimes into the houses to which she managed to get invited and where she stayed as long as possible or until some other house was open to her meanwhile little bessie grew into a child of wonderful loveliness possessing her mother's beauty of feature and complexion and her father's refinement of feeling she added to them a truthful simplicity and frank ingenuousness of manner which won all hearts to her 
much as they might despise her mother everybody loved and pitied bessie whose life was a kind of scramble and who early learned to think and act for herself and to know there was a difference between her father and her mother she learned too that large hotels where prices were high meant two rolls and a cup of milk for breakfast a biscuit or apple for lunch and nothing for dinner except what her mother could surreptitiously convey into her pocket at table d'hote and still there was no merrier happier child playing upon the sands at aberrettsworth than bessie macpherson on the summer morning when miss betsy macpherson first saw her and called out betsy macpherson is that you leaving her companion she went to the tall peculiar-looking woman sitting so straight and stiff upon the bench and laying her soft white hands on her knee looked curiously and fearlessly into her face with the remark i am bessie not betsy i think that is a horrid name and so the conversation commenced between the strange pair and bessie told of the stingy aunt in america for whom she was named and who had never sent her a thing and whom her mamma called old sauerkraut bessie was very communicative and miss macpherson learned in a few minutes more of the bohemian life and habits of her nephew and his wife than she had learned at her brother's house in london where she had been staying for a few weeks and where mistress daisy was not held in very high esteem and all the time she talked bessie's little hands were busy with the folds of the black dress on the woman's knee rubbing and smoothing it with the restlessness of an active nervous child but miss macpherson would hardly have minded if the hands had worn holes in her dress so interested was she in the little creature talking to her so freely would you like to go and live with me she asked at last you shall go to school with children of your own age and have all you want to eat good bread and milk and muffins and syrup and chefleur au gratin can i have that i liked that best of all the day i went to table d'hote in paris with mamma bessie interrupted and miss macpherson replied no but you can have huckleberry pie in summer and a sled in winter to ride down hill at the mention of the sled bessie opened her eyes wide and after a moment's reflection asked can papa go too yes if he will came hesitatingly from miss macpherson and the child continued and mamma no heaven forbid was the response spoken so decidedly that the restless hands were motionless and into the blue eyes and about the sweet mouth there stole the troubled half-grieved expression which in after years became habitual to them don't you like my mamma the child said she is very nice and pretty and lord hardy likes her and so does papa for he kisses her sometimes papa would not go without mamma and i must not leave papa so you see i cannot go though i'd awfully like the sled and the pie where do you live miss macpherson did not reply directly to this but said instead i am going to america in a few days and shall see your aunt betsy what shall i tell her for you tell her to send me something was the prompt reply which made miss betsy's shoulders jerk a little send you what she asked rather sharply and bessie who had commenced the rubbing process again and was looking at her hands replied i want a turquoise ring five stones with a pearl in the centre real too i don't like shams neither does papa but mamma don't care if she gets the effect if you'll never tell as long as you live and breathe those solitaires in mamma's ears are nothing but paste and were bought in the palais royal 
and bessie pursed up her lips so disdainfully that miss macpherson burst into a laugh and stooping down kissed the little face as she said that's right child never tolerate a sham better than naked truth always in the distance daisy who had passed them ten minutes or so ago was returning with young hardy and rising to her feet miss betsy said i must go now child good-bye try and be good and truthful and real and stick to your father and some time maybe you'll see me again then she walked swiftly away and bessie saw her no more but for days she talked of the queer old woman on the terrace who had called her betsy and who had bade her be good and truthful and real and stick to her father numerous were the questions put to her by her father and mother relative to the stranger whose identity with the american aunt they scarcely doubted and archie was conscious of a bitter pang as he reflected that she had been so near to him and yet had not tried to find him he had heard that she was expected in london and he knew now how strong had been the hope that he should meet her and that she would do something for him he was so tired and so ashamed of the life he led now here now there now on the first floor now on the fifth floor back now plenty now penury and absolute want according to daisy's luck for daisy managed everything and bade him take things easy and trust to her but he would so much rather have stayed quietly at stoneleigh with but one meal a day and know that meal was paid for than to live what to his sense of propriety seemed a not very respectable life but he had lost his chance the one who might have made living at stoneleigh possible had ignored him she had been where he was and had not sought him and his face was very gloomy that evening as he sat in front of the hotel with bessie in his lap while daisy walked on the terrace with lord hardy and told him of the old woman on the sands who must have been the american aunt one week later there came a letter from old anthony saying he had received a small package by express from london directed to miss betsy macpherson care of archibald macpherson should he keep it till his master returned or should he forward it to aberystwyth archie replied that he was to forward it and two days after there came to him a small box containing a turquoise ring of five stones unmistakably real with a good-sized pearl in the centre and on the gold band was inscribed little betsy eighteen hundred blank that settled the question of the donor and daisy laughed till she cried over what she called the old woman's spite nasty old cat she said why didn't she send some money instead of this bauble which is a deal too large for the child she can't wear it in years i must say though that it is very beautiful and the old thing did herself justice when she bought it look archie it fits me perfectly and she slipped it on to her finger where it remained for as she said bessie could not wear it then and it might as well do somebody some good archie wrote at once to his aunt enclosing a card on which bessie had printed with infinite pains i got the ring thank you ever so much by some fatality this letter which was directed to allington massachusetts u s a went astray and was never received by miss macpherson who half expected it and who with the memory of the blue-eyed child upon the sands fresh in her mind was prepared to answer it but no letter came to her or went to archie either and so two people were disappointed and the chasm widened between them archie inputting it to his aunt's peculiar nature and she charging it all to that jezebel as she stigmatized daisy of whom she had heard most exaggerated accounts from her brother's wife the lady jane End of chapters three and four